leaned over to me during the Spring Breakaway announcement. You know how it's titled Growing Pains. He said, did they name that after the show? I said, Pastor, none of them kids were born when that show was out. <laughs> and then I fell back because like, I remember that show. So shout out if you remember Growing Pains, baby. Shout out if you remember. <clears throat> I, love the, I love the teens. Like, is, it, is that like a TikTok thing? Hey, real quick, shout out again. I'm sorry, Minnesota peoples, man. Uh, we, are, we are obviously praying for your trip. And just so everyone knows, their trip's not canceled. It's just delayed, God willing. And so they are set to take off tomorrow morning, uh, God willing. And we just want to, hey, pray for them. You may not know them, but we don't need to know them to know what God's going to do through them. Amen? So I know it's not as long as you guys thought it would be, but listen, Jesus can change the world in three days. You can do something powerful in a couple of days too. And so, but I will say this, they build them big in Minnesota. Them Scandinavian boys, I was like, is that a student or a leader? That's a student. I said, that boy, he's on his third mortgage. That's a, that's a big old boy. I don't know, I just, I'm like, poor Ariel was in the back, like, I can't see worship today. It's, like, it's all right, Pastor Ariel, it's all right. Your people's in the house. Uh, we are so, so grateful that you're here uh, for Palm Sunday. And uh, I'm sorry, give me a second to laugh about Pastor Izzy lost it just now. <laughs> Your people. Um, listen, we're, we're so excited. If you're new to church, though, and you, you hear this term Palm Sunday, you may not totally understand what that means. And, and all Palm Sunday means, it's, it's something that throughout the Christian church history, we've kind of labeled as the Sunday before Easter. And so the Sunday before Easter, it's in memory of the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, leading up to his eventual capture, crucifixion, and resurrection. So this is the beginning of what many Christians call the Holy Week. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters in through the Mount of Olives, overlooking all of Jerusalem, and he walks down this road, and he's met with this crazy intentional parade, this awesome moment of people gathering together, shouting and cheering this king that has now entered in to Jerusalem. And many of you know, I talked about this a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be in Jerusalem, and I remember I'm standing there on the Mount of Olives, the very place where Jesus began that journey. And I'm looking out over all of Jerusalem, and it is an incredible scene because you really can see it all. You, you can see the, the entire landscape from this one moment. And then I got to walk down that road that Jesus walked down that we find throughout the four Gospels, but in particular, as we're going to look at this morning, in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40. If you don't have your Bibles, the Bible in the sky is going to help you out. But Luke 19, verse 28, listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there with no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just had uh, they had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its, owner, its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. 
They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully uh, to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, this was going to happen. Now, if you follow the gospels and you look at the life of Jesus up until this point, Jesus is almost always uh, trying to keep his profile low. He's always telling people after he's done a miracle, don't tell nobody. Hey, be quiet. Anytime crowds would come around and would try to anoint him or try to like praise him, he would duck out, he would hide out, he would disappear, literally disappear from those moments. He kept trying to keep a low profile because the time had not yet come for what he was about to do until this day. This day, he lets it go. This day, he not only welcomes the praise, but he invites it as he walks in. He comes in on a cult the same way in in ancient days when there would be a mighty general or a conquering king that would come back to their city after a mighty battle. They would show and there would be this huge parade for them, right? They They would line up and all the peoples of the community of the kingdom would line up along the road and they would cheer and they would throw flowers and they would celebrate and then they would bring like their conquering victims with them and they would have all the spoils and then at the end the king or the general whoever was the person that they were celebrating would be riding in on a golden chariot and literally an obnoxious parade right he's just coming in embracing the praises of his people Jesus is doing the same way only maybe a little bit more humble rather than a golden chariot he's on a donkey a little colt not even a full-grown one and he's riding in and the the people are shouting, and the people are cheering, and they're going after this king, and he's being celebrated. And one thing I found interesting is what they were offering him. Because see, when the king comes in, you gotta have an offering ready. When someone important shows up to your house, you're, you're looking all over the place. Remember back in the day when people would show up unexpected to your house? Remember what that was like? It was so weird. When people would knock on your door, and you're like, why is someone knocking on our door? And then you'd freak out. And then you always had like, at least in my house, they always had like a little something in case guests showed up. Right? It'd be like three, four days old. You're like, what's that for? It's like, in case somebody shows up. Like, well, when are we going to eat it? Uh, I don't know. Somebody might show up today. It's like, by day five, I'm eating that cake. Like, I'm going to invite my friends and we together will eat that cake. But, but there was, oh, because if somebody showed up, the worst thing that could happen is you didn't have anything to offer them. Right? At least a glass of water. I remember there was a couple of times I was in the UK and uh, every time we would go to somebody's house, they would offer us tea. They hey, would you like some tea? I'm like, yeah, I love some tea. And every day was tea. And I'm like, after a while, I was like, how come nobody offers me water? I'm thirsty, bro. It's summertime and y'all keep offering me hot tea. Like, I just want some water. He goes, nobody ever offers me water. He goes, I don't know. And she never thought about it. He goes, I guess it's just like a warm tea is more welcoming. I go, yeah, but I'm still thirsty, bro. Can I get an ice water? Like... Speaking of which, I'll give a swig real quick. You got me. But listen, the thing is, when somebody comes, especially somebody important, you want to have an offering. And, and this is no different because as I was looking at this king coming into Jerusalem, it reminds me of the first time this happened back in Matthew chapter 2. 
If you go all the way back to the beginning, it says after Jesus was born, so right at the birth of Jesus, in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The king has entered into Jerusalem once before on the day of his birth. And when he came, there was already a group of people who understood the king is coming and we need to have an offering ready for him. A few verses later, verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know some of you are going, we're only supposed to read that verse on Christmas. But the truth is, this is where you see the full scope of the story from the birth to the resurrection. Jesus came in once before, humble in nature, right? A baby born in a manger with no one else around, no room at the end, no big parade, no big subtlety. And now Jesus is entering back into Jerusalem, again, a triumphant king celebrated by everyone in the crowd because their king has arrived and their eyes, the one who was going to set them free from the oppression that they were experiencing from Rome. But in Jesus' heart, he knew, no, I'm not here to set the Jews free from Rome. I'm here to set the world free from themselves and sin. Like, this is why it was a triumphant entrance. 30 plus years, the born king of the Jews is walking into Jerusalem. And instead of a group of Magi, or Magi there's at least two crowds ready to meet King Jesus. And guess what? They brought an offering too. I want to take note of a few of the things that we offered because I think it's important for you and I to do the same. See, the king is still here, amen? amen? When Christ resurrected, he lived forever. He didn't just resurrect and die again. He lives forever. And so the king is still around. The king is still here. The king is still present. And we are still giving offerings to our king, not just monetarily, although praise God that we are able to do that and that God calls us to do that. But even beyond that, there is an offering that God is calling of us. And the first one that I notice in this scripture is the fact that we need to offer our resources. What did I say that? Well, what's the first thing they do? They go and they get a borrowed coat, a borrowed coat. And I ain't gonna lie to you. For years, when I would read this story, I always thought, man, Jesus straight up stole a donkey. Because that's kind of what it looks like, right? Jesus tells this guy, hey, listen, I need you to go. There was a, a dude my dad grew up with. He was kind of a hustler in the neighborhood. And he walked up to this one guy at the bar one time, and he said, hey, man, I got a great deal. I'm trying to sell my tires. I'll sell them to you for 300 bucks, but the deal is you got to take the tires off. I ain't going to take them off. So you take them off, 300 bucks, it's yours, no problem. He's like, all right, bet. So they go to his car, the guy starts taking the tires off, the police car shows up, guess what? Wasn't dude's car. <laughs> he just paid him $300 to steal somebody else's four tires. So, so when I look at this story and Jesus grabs his disciples and he says, hey, listen, I need you to go to this area, you're gonna find this little donkey and I want you to untie it and bring it over here. And, and they're like, like, is it your donkey? <laughs> no, it's not my donkey. What if somebody says something? Just tell them I need it. All right. And sure enough, as they're doing it, what are you doing? Uh, the Lord needs it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Could you imagine if I'm in the parking lot trying to get into your car? Like, what's going on? Uh, God needs this. <laughs> Speed the light. Like, we got to help our missionaries. But no, no. Most scholars believe this is, this is an arrangement that Jesus had already made with this uh, people. He'd already set it up. He, he, on the slide, he set up a, hey, listen, one day I'm going to ask for a favor, right? <laughs> one day I'm going to need this coat. 
and it was ready for him just at the right time. So that when the disciples showed up and said, the Lord needs it, they already knew, I know what you're talking about. See, I love when God brings things together. When, when we don't know what the other hand is doing, but God knows because he's the head, right? He understands what he's bringing together. Hey, I didn't know Minnesota was gonna be showing up here today. They didn't know they were gonna be showing up here today, but God brings things together. I don't know why this may bear fruit tomorrow. This may bear fruit 30 years from now. I don't know why God does the things that he does in the way that he does it. All I know is they had a snowstorm in Minnesota and a tornado in Chicago, so they couldn't go nowhere. So they got stuck. And we can look at that in life and think this is just, you know, bad luck and this is just a situation. But when God brings things together and he orchestrates stuff, are you ready to give your resources and say, God, I trust you? When God says, hey, I need you to give me that. And you're like, but I need it. <laughs> right? This coat had never been ridden. It was probably worth a good amount. And so when they said they need that, they could have easily been like, well, I'll give you an old donkey if you want. I'll give you a spare one. I'll give you one that we're trying to get rid of. But you want the new one? You want, this hasn't even been ridden. You want to be the first one to ride it? That's like you asking to borrow a brand new pair of my shoes. I haven't even broke them in yet. You want to crease them for me? Like, like, like we, we, let's slow down with this. And listen, let's be honest. There are things in our life, resources that we have, that if the Lord came to you and said, I need that, you would say, no problem. Absolutely, Lord. But then there are other resources that if the Lord says, hey, I need that, we're like, anything else? I don't want to give you that. Why? Because that's special. That's mine. That's for nobody else. Well, if he's the king, doesn't he have authority over everything we have? Isn't everything we have his anyways? So that even this idea of my resources aren't really my resources because you're thinking uh, from a democratic standpoint. No, no, this is, this is king. King and subject. Meaning that everything that's out there belongs to the king. So anything that the king asks of, he's not asking it of you. He's asking you to give it back to him, what he's already given to you. And here's the beauty of it. It was a borrowed coat. It wasn't a purchased coat or a stolen coat. It was borrowed. In other words, I'm going to give it back. But I need it right now for this moment. Hey, that talent you have, hey, I'm going to give it back. And you're going to be able to use it to do incredible things. But your ability to sing... I want to use it on Sunday for my glory. Hey, your ability to teach, I know you teach Monday through Friday. I know it's Sunday morning with children's ministry is the last thing you want to do. But that gift I've given you, I need it for Sunday. I need to teach my babies. And listen, I'll be honest with you, a lot of us, if you worked at McDonald's five days a week, last thing you want to do on the weekend is cook burgers. But if you got a skill, if you got a resource, God is the one who's equipped you. God is the one who's prepared you. God is the one who's given it to you. And he's saying, hey, can I borrow it a little bit? Can, can I use that gift to you just a little bit? Hey, listen, I know you got a construction company, but can I borrow that a little bit? We got a widow that needs some help. Would you mind helping her? Okay. Hey, listen, I, I know you're, you're a police officer and you work really hard and you got a lot going on, but listen, our women's Bible study is starting up. Can you come and help us just make sure that the building's secure, make sure that our women feel safe? Can you come and give us your gift? Like all these little aspects are things that God is bringing together. This is the beauty of the church is that in this building, we have everything we need to accomplish everything God called us to do. It's in this room. Everything we need to do what God has called us to do is already in this room. Why? Because God's brought us together for that reason. We have all the talent we need. We have all the resources we need. We have all the giftings we need. We don't need Bill Gates to get saved and start showing up here. Although if you want to pray for that, praise God. I ain't got no problem if Billy wants to hand off some of his wealth. Okay, no problem with that. But at the same time, what I love, we don't have millionaires in this room as far as I know. 
okay? We're lucky if we got a few hundred thousand heirs. But you know what we have? We have people that are saying, God, this is your resource. You want my coat? Take it. Listen, John chapter six, verse five through nine. <clears throat> when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, uh, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread to, for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how, are they, but how far will they go among so many? 5,000 men, not including women and children, are at this meeting. They all get hungry. Jesus says, how are you going to feed them? He already knows what he's going to do. But he says, how are you going to feed them? They look around at their resources and they say, we don't have enough. As a matter of fact, none of us have anything. The only person that has something is this little boy and all he's got is two fish and five loaves. How far is that going to go? Things go a lot further when they're in God's hands versus your hands. And you know what I love? Again, they didn't steal the kid's lunch. <laughs> that would be awkward, right? Like, Give me that fish. <laughs> Here's a young boy who was taught to share, who was taught to give. Five, five pieces of bread, you'll be all right with one. Can you give the other four? Right? You're all right with one fish. Can you give the other fish? But here's this young boy who says, I don't know how far this is going to go, Lord, but here you go. Hey, listen, it might be a small offering you give. It might be a small, hey, I, all I do, Pastor, I just stand at the door and I hold the sign. I love those signs. I love those signs because every time I walk in, I'm reminded of somebody that loves me. And you don't even got to say it because I can read, thank God. Like, I just look at it. Now, here's the deal. If you got the sign, the sign says, welcome here, and your face says, get out. Let's match up, all right? Let's make sure the sign and the face, sign and the face should be the same. Okay, that's important. That's key. If you're like, Pastor Ariel said I had to hold this sign. I don't want to hold this sign, but whatever, that's what she said. No, it's important. But again, listen, this, is, this isn't even like, for, not for nothing. If someone's walking in brand new and the first person they see is you and they read a sign that says welcome, but even more, they see a face that says I love you. Right off the bat, you won that person. Before the, the worship starts, before the preacher preaches, you are one of the first people after the parking lot ministry, which thank God our parking lot guys, rain, sleet, or snow, happy smiles, happy faces. Right? We got Carlos out there dressed to the nine every Sunday. Carlos, where are you at? Carlos, are you in here? Where's Carlos at? He's out there. In the, man, I don't know if you noticed my man, Carlos, with the beautiful hat and the nice outfits. That man holds doors on Sunday. He holds doors, but he holding doors like he worked for Abercrombie and Fitch. Like he's just a model out there like, welcome, sir. And every time I see him, I'm like, my guy, look at you all dressed up, looking fresh. He don't do it just for Palm Sunday and Easter. Why? He's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm the first person somebody sees when they come into this church. And you walk in, you think all of us dress nice. No, nah, it's just Carlos. He's the only one. <laughs> now, like I said, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't steal that lunch. And I'm pretty sure those two fish and loaf couldn't solve the whole problem. You may not have all the resources you need but what you bring to the Lord could be multiplied in his hands. But you got to bring it. You got to give it. So we offer our resources. The second thing is this. We offer our allegiance. Right? What did the Bible say? They laid down their cloaks. Listen, the act of spreading out a garment was one of recognition, loyalty, and a promise of support. It was a way of saying, 
I'm laying it down for you. You're in charge right now. This is something we saw in the Old Testament in 2 Kings after God had passed judgment on a line of wicked rulers over Israel. He anoints a new king named Jehu and the new king of Israel. And notice how the people responded in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12 to 13. It says, uh, here is what they told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. In other words, it was the act of laying down their cloak to say, my authority is laid under you. You're in charge. All of me is in submission to all of you. You're in charge. Now you got to understand, especially when Jesus is walking in, that cloaks in this time are not cheap. They don't have like a closet full of cloaks. You know, I said, this is my Sunday cloak. This is my, it's not like all of us with our closet full of flannels, okay? They, they, they had a limited amount. It was very expensive and it was very rare for someone to have more than one or two. A cloak was a necessity. It was not a luxury, all right? but they were willing to lay it down. This is what I own, this is what covers me, and now I lay it down for someone else to walk over it. It's a powerful sign of surrender to their authority. Here's my question for you, church. What's the cloak in your life? What's the, the area that you are not willing to fully surrender? Like, okay, God, you can have my resources, but I still wanna be in charge. I still wanna call the shots. I still want to decide what I do with what I have or who I am. I still get to decide. I want to be in charge. You can have some stuff. You can borrow it. But as long as at the end of the day, I'm in charge. What's that precious thing that you have a hard time laying down to Jesus? Listen, it might be your marriage. Oh, no, I'm the, I'm the man, though. I'm in charge of this marriage. No, God is the head of the household. So you, you want your wife to submit to you, but you won't submit to Christ? There's an issue there. There's a problem there. Okay, and I don't, I don't knock your wife for it because you, you can't lead in authority and not submit to authority. And so here when you lay down your cloak, you're saying, listen, all of my life, my children, they're my kids. Mm -hmm, but uh, listen to me now, just a, okay, just a little bit. You got to understand how hard it is for these teenagers who come week in, week out to youth group who hear about this amazing, wonderful God and the authority and how to lead and then they don't see you model it, but you're still telling them what to do. And I'm not saying you're not supposed to tell them what to do, but I'm saying their level of respect for your spiritual wall grows when you actually walk it. And they'll, they'll, they're like, oh, I want my kids to love the Lord. Easy, you love the Lord. I want my kids to follow Christ. Awesome, you follow Christ. Like, as long as you do it and you model it, they'll follow along with it. Okay, now that does, that's not saying that they'll never apart and they'll never, what I'm saying is the probability increasingly grows tremendously when you demonstrate what it means to be fully surrendered so that they understand what it means to be fully surrendered. You can't expect them to take their cloak off and lay it down if you still have yours on. These people laid down their cloak and said, you are an authority, it's yours. Third thing is this. We offer our cloak, obviously, which is our, not just our resources, but our allegiance. But we also offer our praise, right? The Bible says that they praise God for all the miracles they had seen. Now, let me explain something. Because there's a difference between praise and worship. Now, most churches, they refer to them almost like the same. The, you know, the first 20, 30 minutes of a service are the praise and worship time. But there is a distinct difference between praise and worship. So praise is the response we have to something we've witnessed, experienced, or received. 
Praise is the response we have to something we've witnessed, experienced, or received. In other words, we praise our favorite team when they score, right? We praise the chef when the meal is excellent. We praise an artist when they play our favorite song. Right? If you're at a concert and the artist is playing all their new stuff, you're like, uh, and then they, they hit the old school and you're like, yeah, that's what I came to this concert for. Stop playing your new stuff. Nobody likes it. Go back to the thing that everyone likes. And, but it's funny, right? Like when the artist plays that one song, the whole room lifts up in praise. Right? They shout. I, sometimes I'm in my car, this is when I start feeling old. And I guess it's the oldie station now, but for me, it's high school. And and I turn out and the song come out. And I, yesterday I was with my wife. I was like, oh, 16-year-old Cicely was jamming to this, wasn't she? She's like, mm-hmm. I said, how would you dance, baby? She's like, that's her one dance. She does her Every song gets that move. She got one move and she does it well. And nothing, nothing neck down. She's a holy woman. It's just. But listen, when the right song comes out, the praise comes up, right? Hey, listen, let's, can we be? Can we be? Some of y'all do that on Sundays. Your praise don't lift up until your song plays. Oh, it's a new song. I don't know it. Same God, though. <laughs> like, we're not worshiping, we're not praising the song. We're praising God. So here's an easy thing new song, old song, same God. Praise God for what he's done. Like that's what praise is. Praise is a response to things God has done. The Bible tells us, right, that everyone who has breath ought to praise the Lord. Everyone who has breath ought to praise the Lord. The Bible tells us specifically in what we were just reading as Jesus was coming in, that the crowds of disciples began to joyfully praise God with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Okay? These disciples were the people who saw Jesus doing miracles, who had been walking with him. So he had a crowd ahead of him, and he had a crowd behind him. The crowd behind him were the followers who had already been with him. They're the ones who saw Jesus heal leprosy. Praise the Lord. They're the ones who saw the blind see. Praise the Lord. They're the ones who witnessed Jesus feeding the 5,000. Praise the Lord. They're walking in saying, y'all don't know who this is. You guys don't understand who this is. Praise the Lord. Look at what he has done. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Some of them were the ones who received it. They're walking and they're moving and they're shouting praises to the king. Most recently, the Bible tells us right before this uh, moment, many of them witnessed one of his most powerful miracles today, which was the raising of the dead. In John chapter 11, verse 41 through 45, says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe you sent me. In other words, Jesus is praying out loud, not because he needs to, but because everyone else needs to hear him. It says, when he said all this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, the clothes around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did. And what did they do? Believed in him. These people saw what he did. They believed in him. And in response to that, very naturally, they praised him. One of the great indictments against much of our praise is that it's mindless. 
that we're just shouting because the drums kicked up. We're just praising because the song is good. People assume we don't have anything specific in our minds that we praise God for. Things that we've seen him do in our lives. Listen to me, church. Anyone who says praise the Lord should be able to answer this question. Praise him for what? Listen, I'll tell you one of my things. I, this is, I'm, not, I'm not a creeper. This is what I like to do. I love to watch people worship. But while I'm watching them, I love to take inventory. Because I know so many of you. So what I do is I watch you worship and then I think about your testimony. I think about where you've come from. I think about where you're at. And I just start going. With it. I remember last year, a few years ago actually, in Easter, there was, there was a young lady who uh, she had lost her child tragically and um, this girl that grew up in our youth ministry and it was a very, very sad incident. And, um, you know, I was hurt. And through that crazy, horrific incident, some of her family members actually began to come back to the Lord. One in particular was her mother. And so her mother was coming a little bit more regularly. And then eventually the daughter started coming back to church. And then a year or so later, she ended up giving birth to another child. She had kind of a rainbow baby. And I remember, right, right, the baby had just been born and then Easter came around. And I was kind of walking around the back and I see the mom and her mom and I see the baby, three generations of women. And I see them holding and then the worship team is singing, oh death, where is your sting? And I lose it. I'm in the back bawling my eyes out because I'm like, that's right. Where's your sting now? Look what my God has done. And I just start praising the Lord and I just start giving him thanks. Why? Because that's what we do. When, when we see what God has done, we lift up hands. We lift up our voice. We praise God because he is faithful and because we have a reason to praise God. Listen, don't you praise God just because everyone else is praising God. Don't you praise God just because the music's loud and the beat is on point and the drums are kicking up and the guitar's got a solo. You praise God because of what he's done in your life. You praise God because of the things that you've seen. I've seen God heal my mom from cancer last year. I've seen God give us a child when we lost one in June. I've seen God move in the light when everything else seemed to be dark. I've seen it. Because I've seen it, I praise him for it. Worship team, if you'd help me out. Now listen, the beauty of this moment is the people behind him were praising, but the people in front of him were worshiping. And I think there's a distinct difference, as I mentioned earlier, between praise and worship. We don't just offer our praise. We need to be able to offer our worship. The Bible says that they were shouting Hosanna with palm branches. You kind of see it in the background right now. Now, that's not a word that we use in today's vernacular, but essentially, Hosanna is a people's cry for deliverance. It means, save me, O king. It's a people's cry for deliverance, for help in the day of their trouble. It's an oppressed people's cry to their savior and their king. In other words, we're hurting, we're struggling. King, save us. Hosanna. Hosanna. King, save us. We need you. Listen, 2 Samuel 14.4 gives us an example of this. When the woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell to with her face to the ground to pay him honor. And she said, help me, your majesty. Or in other words, Hosanna, a cry for help. So if it's a cry for help, how is it also a form of worship? Listen, John chapter four, verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
there's a very big difference between praise and worship. Praise says, thank you for the clothes that I have. Praise says, thank you, God, that I have a meal to eat. Praise says, thank you, God, that even though my flight was delayed, I had somewhere to go Sunday morning. Praise says, thank you, God, that you were able to help me cover the bills this month. Praise is reactionary. Worship says, thank you, God, even though I don't have clothes right now. Worship says, thank you, God, even if I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Worship says, thank you, God, even though I have no idea how my bills are going to get met today. Worship says, thank you, God, for who you are and not what you've done. Praise is about what you've done, but worship is about who you are. So worship is both praise and prayer because it's God saying, Lord, I need you, but I know no one else can come through like you. And so I worship you because of who you are. So I don't have to worry about how things aren't going to happen. I don't have to worry about whether or not my child's going to come home. I don't have to worry about whether or not my peace is going to be in my family. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to get a new job after I just got fired. I'm just going to worship you because the one that I worship holds the whole world in his hands. The one that I worship is willing and capable of helping me in my greatest time of need. The one that I worship loves me and cares for me. Because of God, (coughs) he's the one that I worship. I worship him because I can trust him to provide for my needs. I worship him because he's the only one that can deliver me. I worship him because he was the only one who could save me. I worship him because he is worthy. Stand with me, church. See, worship is praise in advance. See, if praise is about what God has done, then worship is about what God can and will do. Worship is praise in advance. It's saying, God, here's an advance on this miracle. It ain't happened yet, but it's in your hands now, God. And it may not happen the way I think it's going to happen, but it's in your hands now, God. So here's my advance. Well, they haven't answered your prayer yet. doesn't matter because I've already given it to the only one who can. So I worship him. I worship him as if he's already done it. I worship it as if it's already done because the one who said it is faithful to do it because God is not a man that he would lie because God fulfills all of his promises because God is faithful and true. So I worship him. I lift him up. I give him all the praise and honor because he is worthy. Come on, church. If God is worthy of your worship, 